You're listening to Radio Influence. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. I'm your host, Vincent Hill. Today is Tuesday. It is August the 14th. And we are already in August. It's moving fast. It's the middle of the month already. I can't believe it. This year is just about over. There's been a lot of news this year, a lot of stuff going on. I've been all over the place. I'm trying to settle down just a little bit. But, hey, duty always calls. This past Sunday, I was sitting on my couch trying to take a nap. I got a call from Fox News that said, hey, they wanted me to come on and talk police tactics as it related to the protest in Charlottesville, Virginia, in Washington, D.C. I guess it was the one-year anniversary of the riots and protests there in Charlottesville, Virginia, last year where someone was killed, and we saw Antifa uh, and a lot of other groups doing a lot of violence there in Charlottesville, Virginia. So they wanted me to come on talk police tactics. That was at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So I got dressed really quick, got down to the Fox Bureau here in Atlanta and sat in the chair for about 45 minutes before they actually came to me. But you know what? I prayed about this for so long that I would be that guy that they called even in the last minute to go on and talk about breaking news and, you know, be careful what you pray for because you just might get it. So, uh, you know, although I was wanting to take my Sunday nap and just relax and chill to get ready for the week, duty called and my blessing called. So with that, I'll just say I shut my mouth and I did exactly what God had in store for me. So there's, again, this year is just about over. There's a lot of ground to cover. 35 officers this year shot uh, in the line of duty so far. 34 of those have uh, been killed by gunfire, not accidental gunfire. Uh, Of course, we talked about Chicago last year, uh, or last week rather, and how the black community is fed up with their Democratic mayor Uh, And his decisions and his inability or his lack of care to react to the gun violence there. And as I said before, a lot of it sparked because people wanted the police out of the communities and they wanted the police to have to revamp to have police reform and reform a lot of their policies that in turn led to crime. Uh, So there's another city that's doing that right now. Uh, based on a, a shooting that, that took place uh, several months back, the shooting of Stefan Clark. If you remember, he was the individual that was seen breaking into cars. Uh, he got in a foot pursuit with police. Of course, there was a helicopter involved. He runs behind what turned out to be his grandmother's house, which police didn't know at the time because he was out breaking cars and he ran from police. So he runs around the corner uh He has something in his hand. It's dark. Mind you, it's like two in the morning. Police assume it's a gun because, i.e., he's breaking in the cars. He runs from police. He's running over fences and through houses and stuff like that. They assume it was a gun. They fire. It turns out to be a cell phone. Of course, the entire thing outside of what he did before that turned out, oh, it's just racial. It's It's white cops killing black kids again. It's just racial, excluding You know, the fact that, again, he was breaking in the cars and it smashed a few windows. Nobody wanted to talk about that. So there's a huge change that the Sacramento Police Department 
And their uh, black chief, Daniel Hahn, just made, in my opinion, to appease the community. But it's going to backfire on them. It, you think that Sacramento is so liberal now and that certain crimes happen because of, oh, we don't need the police here. Oh, well, this one right here is really going to blow you away. I want to talk about Sacramento. But first, I want to talk about Michael Drodka. We talked about him on this show a couple of weeks ago. He shot an individual, Marquise McLaughlin, who's 28 years old, a black guy. He shot him. He says it was stand your ground. Now, the background of it, uh, Michael Draga was outside of this convenience store, uh, apparently arguing with Marquise's girlfriend about a parking spot. She was parked in a handicapped spot. So Marquise comes out. He sees this guy yelling at his girlfriend, doesn't know what's going on. He pushes him to the ground. After he pushes him to the ground, and again, we talked about this, and I said I didn't agree with this shooting, especially from a stand-your-ground standpoint. He pushes him to the ground. You can see Marquise walk away. Uh, Drachka pulls out the gun, points it at him. Then you can definitely see Marquise backing away. He fires. So, of course, the uh, his story was it was stand-your-ground. The sheriff there decided not to press charges. It sparked a lot of outrage. Uh, it definitely brought up the whole stand your ground law there in Florida. But the state attorney has actually decided to charge this individual, Michael uh, Drachka, with manslaughter. Uh, so, you know, they did their own investigation outside of what uh, the police department said, which I always said I agree with, that it should be up to the prosecutors in these stand your ground cases and not the police because it removes the police from that decision, especially now how people are saying police are only so one-sided. You just take the police out of it. You don't have that to worry about. But anyway, state attorney has charged him with uh, manslaughter, of course, not murder, because there's so much that goes into this when you're talking about a murder charge, uh, premeditation, intent, all of this stuff. Um, so, you know, I think manslaughter is the right charge. Do I think he will likely be, be convicted of it? Absolutely. So here's the thing. The prosecution, they did a background. They did an investigation on this dude. And apparently he had threatened other drivers, at least on three separate occasions, with a gun. And none of those occasions were a stand your ground uh, incident. It was just, you know, like. Oh, you cut me off at the stop sign or you turned before me. I was supposed to turn first. And he would pull a gun out on these individuals for no reason. Kind of like this guy that we heard of where this stand your ground law became really in the forefront of the news. George Zimmerman. Same thing with Trayvon Martin. You know, that was his defense. But afterwards, you see that George Zimmerman was still going around pulling guns on people because that's just him. And like I said, when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I said, maybe this Michael Drachka is just a punk. And that's the only thing he knows is to pull a gun on people. Well, obviously, it appears that way because they started interviewing people. And yes, he had pulled his gun on several people before, even at the same convenience store where this shooting occurred. And that incident was on video. So the problem I have with this now I'm no lawyer. 
but I know a little bit about the law here and there. You know, I had to take some law classes to go to the police through the police academy. Then we had in service where we had to take law classes to keep up with current law. Typically, if you pull your gun out on someone unprovoked and there's not that imminent threat of serious bodily injury or death, that is considered aggravated assault. So I guess my biggest question is, why was this guy still walking around armed, i.e., in my opinion, he should have been prosecuted long ago for aggravated assault, which is a felony, which means he would have lost his right to own a gun. But again, I'm no lawyer. I'm just a guy that knows a little bit about the law. So outside of what the mainstream media painted this case and Benjamin Crump painted this case that are just another white man killing a black man, I think this problem for this shooting was way bigger. I think that it could have been solved had he been charged with those other incidents where he would have had to have given up his gun. And if he had a gun at that point, then he would be a convicted felon in possession of a weapon, which carries usually a mandatory 10-year sentence. So now not only would he be facing manslaughter, he would also be facing felon in possession of a weapon, felon uh, in possession of a weapon during the commencement of a felony. There's so many things that could have happened to prevent this shooting or to increase his chances of going to prison. Now, again, this case will have to, of course, go to a jury where they will actually review hours and hours of tape. They will probably listen to these other individuals where he pulled a gun on them if the judge allows it, which I got a feeling he probably will. You know, so there, there's still a lot that goes into it. it. Of course, it's up to the jury whether they can say, yes, I could articulate why he thought he needed to stand his ground there. But again, if you watch the video, I just don't see a justification for stand your ground at all. So I'll be curious to see how this case goes. Of course, you know, it could take months or it could take a few years before this actually goes to court. Right now, uh, Draka is uh, currently locked up. He's on a $100,000 bond. Uh, At last check, he had not made that bond yet. You know, that's $10,000. 10% of that $100,000 is $10,000 that he would have to come up with through a bonding company in order to get out. So the shooting happened back July 19th. Again, it may be years, maybe months before this goes to trial. So I'll be curious to see how it goes. He faces up to 30 years in prison. Um, 30 years in prison for a manslaughter charge, which really outside of the fact that he pulled a gun on three other people, Outside of the fact that he's probably just like George Zimmerman, just a guy that probably got beat up at high school and really just wants to go out and show people how big and bad he is with his gun. Those are the worst type of gun gun owners, in my opinion. Listen, I carry my pistol everywhere. And how many times have I pulled it out since I got registered to carry concealed many, many years ago here in the state of Georgia? Zero. But it's always there. Now, could I have said, oh, I pulled it out because this person cut me off at a stoplight or they looked at me funny or they bumped me while we were walking down the street? Yeah, absolutely. 
But again, my articulation of an imminent threat is totally different. And there is that population of people that legally have guns that mentally probably should not have them because they assume that is their only course of action. I'll just pull out my gun and I'll show you who you're dealing with because if this guy's just pulling guns out on three other random people for no apparent imminent threat reason, then there's a problem with his mentality. There's a problem with his uh, limbido, if you will, his manhood to say, well, I'll just pull out my gun. I'll show you. So, you know, the sad part is if this guy doesn't get convicted, there's nothing that would stop him from doing this again, just like George Zimmerman after he got off for the murder of Trayvon Martin. And again, I think he got off not because of race. I think because the prosecution, Benjamin Crump and all these people that were whispering in the Martin family ear misguided them to think that they would get a murder charge versus a manslaughter charge. I always say if they would have gone for manslaughter, hands down, they would have won that case. But you had people whispering in their ear, oh, this is racist, blah, blah, blah. We need murder. Okay, well, that murder charge came back to bite them in the butt and George Zimmerman walked free. So the prosecutor in this case, uh, I, I think, was very smart to make that a manslaughter charge, and I don't think they'll have a problem convicting him of that. But again, it's up to a jury of 12 people. And since I don't live in the state of Florida, I will not be one of those 12 people. All right, switching gears. Let's let's talk some real serious stuff about Sacramento, the city of Sacramento. So again, there was a guy, Stephen Clark, a few months ago that was shot. Um, he was breaking into cars, police or people called police. Imagine that uh, because someone was committing a crime. So police show up. He goes on this foot chase. They chase him. They chase him through backyards, through backyards. He gets to one backyard. The police round the corner. He's got something in his hand. It's dark. They assume crime in progress, person fleeing from the scene, running from police. He's likely armed. So they assume it's a gun. They fire. Stephen Clark dies. Now, the city of Sacramento, again, made it all about race, excluding or excusing, I should say, rather, the actions of Stephen Clark, which led to people calling police, which led to police chasing him. They dismissed that and said it was all racial. So now just on July 26th, so a couple of weeks ago, again, uh, Chief Daniel Hahn, who's actually an African-American chief of the department, said that they're actually creating a new policy for chasing suspects. It went into effect July 26. So under a new policy, foot pursuits in risky circumstances may be discouraged. The policy is a direct result of the Stephen Clark shooting. Now, first, let me break down the phrase may be discouraged. For those that have never policed before, that doesn't mean well, if the officer thinks it's risky, then he can say, nah, I'm not going to chase. I'm going to discourage myself 
from chasing this individual. What that means is because officers are required for officer safety so officers can get to a location for backup, things of that nature. They are required to, when anyone starts running from them, whether it be in a car or on foot, they're required to key up and say, hey, for for instance, my call sign when I was out East Flex was Frank 13. Frank 13, I got one running, male black, uh, black pants, red shirt, direction of flight east on Trinity Lane, uh, blah, blah, blah. So if a supervisor who is listening to that Frank 13, I got one running, says, you know what? That's risky. In Nashville, we called it signal nine disregard. So now in Sacramento, if that supervisor is listening and they're saying, Oh, you got one running. It's a male black. It's dark. No, oh, cancel this. Dis- nope. Disregard or as they say, discourage. Then the officer is required, obligated because he was given a direct order to stop the chase. So now if an officer who under any other circumstances would consider that police, that foot chase to be not risky because it's just a common foot chase where you're chasing someone who has committed a crime and we know the dangers of foot chases. We know that they can be armed. We know all of this stuff because that's what you train us to do and look for. Now that officer says, well, this isn't risky to me. If I key up, I got one running. My supervisor can then say disregard. So let me flip gears and let me play a bad guy for just a second. Let me play Stephen Clark if this policy was in effect several months back before he was shot. I'm just breaking in the cars. That's the glass. Breaking in the cars. Hey, we're going to call the police. I don't give a shit. Call them because all I got to do is run and their supervisor, as soon as they say I'm a black man, is going to say, you know what? Let's disregard that foot chase because it could be risky. Let me read between the lines here. They're not saying it's risky for the officer because, again, that's what the officer is trained to do. They're not saying it's risky for the community, because, you know, the community, the ones that called the police and said that there was a crime in progress because they want to be able to walk safe streets like Chicago. They're not saying it's risky for the community. What they're saying is it's risky for the image of the police department because if the officer is forced to use force, whether it be non-lethal or lethal, it's risky to have that image on the Sacramento Police Department that they're just going around beating and shooting black people. That's what this policy really says between the lines. So it doesn't say we care about our officers. It damn sure doesn't say we care about the community. We only care about the image of the Sacramento Police Department because we don't want CNN in here anymore making us look like the bad guy. So we don't care if crime goes up. We don't care if your car's broken into and the person is 
on the scene and you see which way they go. We don't care if your house is broken into while you're there and they stab your grandmother. If they run, that may be risky to us. We don't care if they just raped your 13-year-old daughter and they're standing there and you say, hey, they ran behind this dark building. Oh, that might be risky to us. We don't care if they just killed your entire family and you somehow escaped and you called the police and said, hey, it was such and such. He's wearing this. He's running down the street. Oh, that's too risky for us. We're going to discourage our officers from chasing this individual. That's what that policy says. Because let me be clear about one thing. Officers have always had what's known as officer discretion. You don't think there's not a bad guy I didn't chase? Not because I didn't want to. Because my discretion told me, you know what, Vince? It's not worth it. We'll live to see another day. You don't think there's not a stolen car I didn't chase because I knew the circumstances would not only put the suspects who I'm still sworn to protect in danger, but as well as the public and as well as myself. So I use my officer discretion to say, you know what, Vince, you'll see that stolen car another day. So this policy, really, if you think about it from a police discretion standpoint, shouldn't even have to be written Because an officer has the ability to articulate, to judge if there is a risky circumstance. So then he or she can say, I discourage myself from engaging in this pursuit right now because I could be at risk. The public could be at risk. Anybody could be at risk. My job is to protect and serve the public. So my officer discretion tells me this is a risky foot chase. I'm not going to do it. So there, if you think about it, there should not be any foot chase policy needed by the Sacramento Police Department. And for the chief to say that it's a direct result of the Stephen Clark shooting, that tells you it's nothing more to appease the community. That is the only reason this was written. And when you do that, you essentially say, although he says he, you know, is still looking into the actions of the officers, is still being investigated by internal affairs. What you are saying is, yeah, we really don't support our officers. So let's make this policy really quick to make it look like we're doing something. And if it comes down to it, we're going to hang our officers out to dry because what they'll come back and say is, well, they should have used officer discretion. This is why we wrote the policy, because they should have used officer discretion to determine if it was risky. Well, a guy breaking into several cars, which could have graduated to breaking into homes if the night progressed. And, you know, maybe, mm, I don't know, killing someone, raping someone. Beating someone, it could have graduated or escalated, should I say, to so many things. But because the officers used deadly force in a split second on something they believe to be an imminent threat. Now, you know what? We got a peace community. Let's make this bullshit policy. Excuse my French. Let's make this policy to cover ourselves. So if the next time 
something like this happens. And let's say the sergeant doesn't tell them to discourage the pursuit, the foot pursuit. We are covered because we have a policy that says, well, if it's risky, they shouldn't chase. But what is risky? To me, risky (laughs) is letting the bad guy who was just committing a crime go. Because now you have emboldened him or her to say, oh, shoot, all I got to do is run. Man, I'm coming out every day. I'm breaking in the houses. I'm robbing people. I'm breaking. I'm, I'm robbing banks. I'm doing stick ups. I might rape a person or two. Man, all I got to do is run. And they're going to consider it risky. Oh, shoot. I'm going on a crime spree. That's what I would do if I was a bad guy. And I assure you. The bad guys in Sacramento are already thinking this because let's not forget this made the news in Sacramento. So if I'm a blood or a crip or MS-13 or whatever else that is out there, or if I'm just a crackhead who likes to break in the houses to get stuff so I can sell and get drugs, man, all I got to do is run. And crackheads, let me tell you, they are pretty fast. I've chased a few of them. It's like that crack gives them like, Freaking bionic speed. So now all I got to do, I can still break in the houses. I can still go steal stuff so I can sell it. So I can go buy a $20 rock. Now all I got to do is run and make it look risky. (laughs) Risky. Like, okay, I got to jump over a fence or two and have my cell phone in my hand. And it's risky. What do you think the bad guys in Sacramento are about to do right now? So. If you look at Chicago, that's got seven, eight hundred murders a year, 60 people getting shot on a weekend, 13 of them dying. When you start it and even Eddie Johnson, the new acting uh, police superintendent. Oh, well, maybe we need to start looking at more proactive policing and the things that we kind of uh, gotten away from, i.e. because you say they were racially motivated or there was racial disparity. No, it was demographic disparity. When you start doing that in a city like Chicago, that's the result. So what do you think is going to happen in Sacramento? Now, I don't know the demographics. I don't know the crime rate, but I know it's not low. I know it's not somewhere in Iowa in the middle of nowhere where on a good year you may have two break-ins, one domestic and a cat stuck in the tree. I know there's crime in Sacramento. I've been up that way. I was just up that way a few weeks ago, headed towards my company's other office in Roseville. I know there's crime. I know people that live in Sacramento that tells me that tell me there's drugs, there's gangs, the schools are bad. So now the Sacramento Police Department has just given a free reign on criminals, a free reign on criminals. Oh, and by the way, this started, it sparked by Mayor Daryl Steinberg, who called for an examination of the department's foot pursuit training after the Clark shooting. Obviously, this guy has never worn a uniform because A, every, every foot pursuit is different. Some people may run because they have a failure to appear. They don't want to go to jail. Some people may get out of their car and run because their license is suspended 
and they think they're going to go to jail for 45 days. Some people may run because they have crack cocaine stuffed in their pants. Some people may run because they were breaking in the cars like Stephen Clark. Some people may run because they just killed five people and they don't, they think that you know and they're running. But in each case, whether it was jaywalking and they're running for that, suspended license and they're running for that, crack cocaine and they're running for that, they killed five people and they think you know and they're running for that, they're breaking in the houses and they're running. The fact is, they're running because they committed an offense, no matter how big or how small. And I say that to say this. You don't think I've stopped someone and they ran because their license was suspended, but they also had a gun on them that they could have used on me at any time? So it doesn't matter what the offense is. The result is the same. It's a bad guy. So for the mayor to sit here and say, oh, well, it's because of the the uh, Clark shooting that we need to reexamine our foot pursuit training. No, because you can't say, all right, well, you can chase if it's just a simple traffic violation or a simple infraction. You can chase for that because, again, I've chased people for a simple traffic infraction, but they were armed and they could have killed me. So what examination of the foot pursuit policy is there? Just like I said about Chicago and when Rahm Emanuel was sitting here saying, oh, we need police reform. How about you start saying we need crime reform because you're stripping the officers of their powers that you gave them to protect and serve the community. And just like Chicago, mark my words, I'm pretty good at these statistics when it comes to things like this. Mark my words, Sacramento at one point when their crime rate exceeds what they're used to and people start getting killed and people start getting their homes broken into and their cars broken into at alarming rates, they're going to get tired of Mayor Daryl Steinberg and they're going to get tired of Chief Daniel Hahn. But they're okay with him right now, you know, because he's a black face and a black guy was shot, uh, you know, several months ago. So they're okay with him right now, but eventually... Mark my words, just like Chicago, once that crime goes sky high, they will not be putting up with this. It's simple math. It's not race. It's not color. It's not economics. It's about being able to walk through your neighborhood safely and not worry about being raped, robbed, killed, uh, your house broken into, your car broken into, your grandma catching a straight bullet. You know, people want to feel protected. So this policy, I assure you, will shoot crime up throughout the city. Mark my words. All right, I want to switch gears and do something a little different uh, tonight. Usually at this time, I do my 10-7 segment. But tonight, I think it's it's important, too, to honor officers that go above and beyond the stories you really don't hear on the mainstream media. Uh, so tonight, I want to honor Deputy Jeremy Nix in Marion County, Florida, uh, he's a, a white deputy who was actually off duty, headed home. He saw a car driving erratically. Uh, he actually stopped the car. The mother, who's black, got out of the car with her three-month-old baby that was not breathing. He attempted CPR right there on the side of the road. He knew it wasn't working, so he jumped in his patrol car. He said he keyed up to the dispatcher and said, hey, I'm not waiting for an ambulance. 
I'm a half a mile away from the hospital. So he gets to the hospital. They get the baby there for treatment. The baby recovered fully. Uh, the baby was having some kind of airway blockage um, there at the scene. But the baby made a full recovery. Uh, and, you know, these are the stories that we don't hear too often. We only hear about white deputies or police for that matter when it only involves shooting someone and people say it's unjustified and it was about race, this, that, and the other. We never really hear about stories like Deputy Jeremy Nix of the Marion County, Florida Sheriff's Office. So tonight I want to honor him in our 10-7 segment. Again, 10-7 is usually for an officer that lost his or her life in the line of duty, but we have to honor those that are out doing their job and going above and beyond. So tonight I honor Deputy Jeremy Nix. I want to thank you for listening to Beyond the Badge as always. I will see you next week, same time, same place, right here, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a dark to light with Frank and Beans quick fix on Radio Influence. Julian Assange has a lot more than he's released. They've tried putting pressure on him to keep his mouth shut and, and they've they've taken his Internet away. They've got Ecuador threatening to remove asylum. They've got him being ousted from the embassy. You know, all these things that have been going on behind the scenes for so long now. And I think that this is a OK, if you shut up and you keep your mouth shut, Assange, and you don't say that you didn't get the stuff from Russia and you don't say that, you know, you don't release whatever information it is you've been talking to us about releasing behind the scenes, which could be what's going on right now, then you'll be okay. And let's get you in person in order for you to get on the record doing that. All right. Let me ask you then from your gut feeling or anything else you've seen over the years regarding Assange, his character and um, and, and what what he's committed his life to. Do you think that he would go back on his dedication to the truth and exposing power uh, uh, power centers that have been corrupted and that are working against the interest of a free society. Do you think that he would go back on all that just to ensure that he has a little bit more freedom for himself as he goes into the later parts of his life? No, because I think that he's already had the opportunity to do that in the Comey deal and he refused. Dark to Light with Frank and Beans can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.